0: listeners, this is your host, Julia Sanders from Children's Hospital Colorado, and I'm here today with an exciting panel for our trauma subspecialty day discussion, part of our POSMA 2021 virtual annual meeting content. I have the pleasure of welcoming our two moderators, Dr. Mauricio Silva from the Orthopedic Institute for Children in Los Angeles, and Amy McIntosh from Texas Scottish Rite in Dallas. We have three very interesting abstracts to discuss today. And so I'll start off with Arjandas Mahadev, joining us all the way from KK Women and Children's Hospital in Singapore, and his paper is titled, Titanium Elastic Nail System in Adolescent Forearm Fractures, Using Bone Age as an Objective Guide to Its Limits. So this project used the Sovgrain method of skeletal age compared to chronologic age to predict outcomes in adolescents treated with elastic nails. So for those listeners unfamiliar with the SovGrain method, it is a method of evaluating skeletal maturity in adolescents using elbow radiographs and it's scored on a 27 point scale. So this study found that males displayed older skeletal age than chronologic age, and that a SovGrain score of greater than or equal to 26 was actually a predictor of poor functional outcomes. So this may indicate that this method of determining skeletal maturity can be used to help guide treatment decision-making. So Dr. Mahadev, thank you so much for making this time difference work for us and joining us all the way from Singapore. And I will turn it over to the moderators.
1: Thank you. Uh, so uh, very interesting study, Dr. Mahadev. And so why don't you tell us what was the impetus of the study? Why did you decide to do the study?
2: Right, basically, funnily so and ironically so, we actually uh, presented a paper showing that we actually can do 10s for the older kids because 10s, you know, you tend to limit them maybe 12. 13, then we said, you know, why not 14, why not 15? Uh, and then we did find some poor outcomes and we decided perhaps there is a limit to tens because if you could use tens, why not just use tens for everyone? After all, it's intramedullary, uh, uh, weight sharing and all that is actually superior to, you know, stripping, even for adults stripping paraosteum and putting a plate in. And we also found from an earlier study that the time taken in to put in a nail, even when you open, is much, much shorter uh, than putting in a plate so why not use it for everyone so we decided that we needed to find a limit and see whether the outcomes were affected or not, and that's the impetus we all know chronological age is not accurate 11 year old boy can range from a boy to a man literally uh, you know biologically and uh, to do a bone age requires a separate uh, set of x-ray but every child has an elbow x-ray included already in the protocol when you do a farm fracture so the trauma, X-rays itself has an elbow there, so why not use that? So, we thought of the Souvagrand um, score, uh, and it says that you can use it for 10 and above only. And that's perfect for us because we don't really argue too much about those less than 10 years old. The argument comes in with the teenagers and how far should we go. Uh, so, that's sort of the basics of how we went on uh, with the Souvagrand score. That's, that's very interesting. So, a uh, question that I have for you
1: obviously, in your study, there are uh, relatively fewer girls, right? And so could yes. you tell us based on your study, how does, has that changed your protocols and now how do you use it in boys and in girls uh, so we can give an audience a, a more clear picture on your recommendations?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely correct. We found that when we, well, I mean, with so few girls, uh, it is understandable that a lot of the statistical analysis are not very interpretable with such small numbers. So um, the later analysis, the deeper analysis, where we finally got the score was actually amongst boys only. So we're still not kind of sure about what to do with the girls, but I don't see why we can't apply apply it to them as well. Uh, uh, And yeah, so that's, that's my best answer I can give you. But you're absolutely right. We have very few girls. So like I said, the final score, the ROC curves and all that were all based on the males only because... We couldn't find anything that were conclusive for the girls. And understandably, so maybe with a bigger sample, we could have done better with our analysis.
3: But in general, girls' uh, skeletal maturity is more advanced than boys, correct? Like yes. if you were going to predict, like average boys are done growing at 16, where girls mature much earlier at 14. So, this would probably hold true for girls as well, wouldn't you agree? Because right. they tend to have even more advanced age right. than boys?
2: Correct. The beauty of the Suvogrand score is it's actually a score. We don't use age anymore because it doesn't make sense because we are we can't use bone age, right? So that twenty six relates to a different age for a girl. So we just use the same score for both boys and girls. For boys, we know it's fourteen point five and it's something else for girls. But it's irrelevant or moot now because bone age is not something we're looking at anymore is actually the score because the score is something we can get from the x-ray immediately from the elbow so but if you were going to
3: extrapolate i'm sorry if you're going to extrapolate you would assume and i know assuming is never a good idea but that 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 number would probably hold true for girls yes. as well as boys correct yes It's just that
2: my
0: study could not
4: prove it
3: because the yes. numbers were small. yeah i get it because your numbers were low
1: so I had another question for you, and you mentioned that in your introduction. When you have to do an open reduction, right, sometimes, and this is just my personal bias, if I am going to do an open reduction, I have already made the approach, wouldn't it be easier just to put a plate instead of using a, a nail? So can, can you walk us through that process uh, of, of your, your thinking process when you are doing an open reduction? It seems like you will use still a tense instead
2: of putting a plate. It's actually much easier for me to put in, because the nail is already halfway there. It's already at the fracture site. My incision is literally one third the size because I don't have to make up for the number of cortices. I only need enough space to hold the bone ends to, to match it. And then the, the nail goes through. Uh, that's, you know, and we've studied this from a previous paper. The, the time is half that you, it would take to plate. And this was significant. So in my well, in my experience, it's a lot easier to put in a nail. Like I said, it's already there. I just have to push it in once I get the bone uh, ends together. Uh, whereas to put in a plate, you need a, a much bigger incision and therefore longer time. And I don't have to do any stripping or whatsoever uh, if I'm not going to put in a plate. Yeah.
3: Did you have any criteria for uh, closed versus open reduction? Meaning you attempted, like three close reductions and intramedullary nail passing before you went to open or did you have any uh suggestions for the uh, listeners for that
2: uh not particularly because this is so variable and one of the biggest is surgeon personality I don't know what that's true with y'all I'm particularly impatient uh, I do have colleagues who are a little bit more patient so that might not be very easy to study because there's so much, so many variables. But what I have thought now, or at least the concept perhaps I may want to introduce in, in, in the next uh, few years is the concept of, you know, we always talk about indication for surgery. Nobody ever talks about the indication for conservative management. So that's what I'm now thinking. When is a fracture indicated such that you don't have to open it? So I'm studying some factors. And hopefully we can come up with uh, an objective paper. One of the most obvious, if you look at the plain x-ray, if the bone ends haven't crossed the deep fascia, uh, there's a good chance you can reduce the fracture. But if you look at the trauma x-rays and you see the sharp end already sticking out of the muscle, I found chances are, uh, you know, Even if you can reduce it, it's not going to be stable. This is some of the the things we are studying. But based on your question as to what uh, there are, are there any objective um, parameters at this point in time? No. Very search-independent.
1: And another question. So in addition to skeletal maturity, are are there any other factors that you take into consideration when using a nail, meaning the location of the fracture, whether or not it's comminuted, whether or not it's just a single bone? Are there any factors that will make you think that the fracture is not appropriate for a tension. that you might use a plate or a different type of, of
2: treatment? Um, I suppose if it's a, you a know, combinated fracture, uh, there's bone loss, uh, uh, yes, things like that. But I have, we haven't actually studied it. Again, it's a case-by-case basis. Our upper limit of age is 16, so chances are most of these cases can be treated with TENS. Very rarely do we find a lot of bone loss You know, we don't have um, gun wounds here at all. So, so, yeah, I can safely say almost all our patients, uh, you know, with the upper limit of 16 to 17 can be treated with TENS quite safely, uh, you know, unless, uh, you know, it's a very um, um, high energy kind of uh, uh, injury. But based on, again, the criteria I was talking about, not so much the chronological age.
0: Great. Thank you, Dr. Mahadev. Um, Our next selected abstract is titled Pediatric Orthopedic All-Terrain Vehicle ATV Injury Patterns, Surgeries and Complications, Appreciating the True Morbidity and Impact. And we're joined by author uh, Brian Rabenhorst from the University of Arkansas in Little Rock. So this is a single institution epidemiological study on orthopedic injuries secondary to ATV accidents. Uh, The authors reviewed 489 ATV injured patients over a five year period and found that uh, 44% of those patients sustained fractures. Uh, The majority of those fractures were surgical and a quarter of them actually required multiple surgeries. Uh, They didn't find any differences when looking at age or BMI in relation to outcomes. Um, And I think this project really delineates the severe nature of these accidents and for me kind of validates that sinking feeling in my stomach when I get called about one of these incoming patients on call. So Dr. Silva and McIntosh, I'll turn it over to you for some discussion.
3: Great. I'm going to take the lead on this one. Um, Brian, I think we share a state border. And one of my favorite uh, cities in Texas is Texarkana. So I feel like we maybe have a shared common interest um, in these types of injuries. And so I don't know what your impetus was for this um, study, but I'm assuming uh, it was that you see a fair number of these injuries in your institution, and you wanted uh, the general orthopedic community to be aware of the significant morbidity that is uh, tends to be associated with them. Am I correct in assuming that?
5: Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm.
3: So, for me, I found it interesting that there was really no difference in age or BMI because we always assume the younger children will have maybe less severe fractures and that older children and higher BMI will have more severe fractures, but that is not what your data showed. Is that correct?
5: Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, When we looked at the, uh, the fracture, the um, distribution of the patients that required surgery, as well as the patients that required multiple surgery, there were no differences in ages uh, from zero to six, all the way up to over 13. Uh, but we, while this wasn't statistically significant, um, we did find this to be uh, clinically significant because, as we all know, um, younger patients um, have um, higher tolerances uh, regarding fracture di- displacement and angulation. And the fact that the younger patients required surgery just as often as the older patients, um, that just speaks to the higher energy um, nature of these injuries and how much more severe they are than other typical fractures that we see.
3: And I just wanted to clarify what you're calling an ATV. So were these like, kind of like four wheelers plus kind of, I always call them like the seated gators that are almost like a dune buggy that kind of have roll bars. And when they roll over the arms and legs almost kind of get pinned or trapped under the roll bars. And have near kind of like amputation type injuries going on. Is that what you were classifying an ATV? Mm
5: -hmm. Yes, ma'am. We didn't specifically delineate um, specific types of ATVs or side-by-sides. We just kind of lumped them all together into an ATV, correct? Yes. But some had, you know, some would have the roll bar, some would not. Um, There was all types. Mm
3: -hmm. I found it very interesting that 16% of the fractures were open. Um, and that there were a few amputations and even one death. Um, I had a question. It wasn't specifically delineated in your abstract, but can you comment on like the need for assistance by plastic surgery in regards to like soft tissue flaps, either local rotational flaps or free tissue flaps, and then skin grafts, and then whether or not there was Could you tell about permanent loss of function in these children?
5: That's a great question. So uh, we did specifically look at um, patients that uh, required soft tissue coverage by uh, plastics or our hand service. Um, However, uh, normally, uh, once we do the, the initial irrigation debridement, if we're concerned about soft tissue coverage, we have a very low threshold. Um, to get uh, the plastic service or hand service involved uh, fairly quickly um, to evaluate the patients to see if they um, w- would require um, either um, local um, a local flap or a free flap. Um, so uh, there are uh, there are a number of patients that did require that in this cohort. Um, however, we didn't specifically delineate that out. And as far as um, ultimate function, Um, That's something that uh, we we didn't look at long term, but definitely something that I think is worth looking at um, in future studies.
3: Yeah, just I know in our patient population here in Dallas is that many of these injuries, it's not just the bony injury that, you know, we as orthopedists are taking care of, but there's a significant uh, soft tissue component and often significant loss of soft tissue where I say like part of the physis is still in the riverbed or whatever. And then there, you know, tends to be um, you know, more long-term morbidity other than just the acute, you know, treatment of these injuries.
5: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I had a, a more general question. I'm I'm lucky to be in a in a state where ATV accidents are, I guess, are not that common and we don't see that many. But Evidently, and based on your data, I mean, this is a very dangerous activity and has tremendous impact on the life of these kids. And so is there, have you given any thought, Brian, as a society, is there anything that we should do to actually highlight the risks associated with this and increase the safety, especially for the pediatric
5: population? I think um, that's a tough question, um, uh, but a very reasonable uh, question as well. Um, uh, so the AOS and the po- and, and Posna actually do have a position statement on this, and they specifically state that um, <clears throat> patients less than 12 should not ride an ATV, and patients 12 to 16 years of age should ride something smaller, like a 90cc ATV. Um, and, uh, and that all patients should demonstrate some form of competency, such as taking a course before riding these. Um, so there are those position statements out there. Unfortunately, every state has different laws uh, re- regarding this, and shockingly, Arkansas are quite lax. Um, in Arkansas, I think if you're over 12, you can ride an ATV and you're good to go, and if you're less than 12, um, you just uh, need to have a An adult to uh to supervise you. So um yeah, you know, it's tough to it's tough to say. Like I like I do think uh after doing this study, I kind of want to write my state senator and see if we can do anything to to change these laws. Um, but it's tough to enforce these. So um, but I think the first step is you know, trying to make the um the state laws more stringent than, than what they are now. And I think the um AOS and POSNA position statements are a great start. It's
3: interesting. I personally feel just from the last year during all the lockdowns is that these types of injuries went up significantly in our trauma center. I think, you know, kids were spending a lot more time at home and just they have access to these types of machines and there's a lot more open space and land where we live. And I know for us in the last calendar year, we've had a increase in these number of injuries, and they can be fairly devastating um, for the child and, you know, their families as well.
5: Absolutely.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Brian. Um, so our final selected abstract from the trauma subspecialty day is titled "All Epiphyseal versus Trans Epiphyseal Screw Fixation for tolow Fractures." Does it matter? And we have the pleasure of welcoming author Neil Kushari from Texas Children's Hospital in Houston to discuss his work. This project answers one of those age old fracture conference questions by looking at patients treated with either parallel or oblique screw fixation for to low fractures. Uh, the authors reviewed a total of 42 patients and there were no significant differences between the two treatment groups. And the authors found that there are also no differences in functional outcomes, pain scores, or patient satisfaction between the two groups. Uh, interestingly, uh, and I think to answer one of those questions that we all ask, there were also no non-unions or FICIL arrests in either group. So the authors concluded that since there were no differences in outcome, they recommend oblique screw trajectory for better compression of the fracture line. So with that, I'll turn it back over to our moderators for the final piece of our discussion tonight.
1: Well, thank you, uh, certainly a very interesting study, and um, I always thought that it mattered, and so. My personal bias was always to put it parallel, but it, it seems like I am wrong and that you are going to prove that that's not the case. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the impetus for the study and how did you end up uh, performing? Thank you, uh, first of all, for this opportunity
4: and, and thank you for that question. Uh, this,
1: was, this started
4: at, at our indications conference at, at our hospital, which is every Thursday morning. And, and we discussed, we showcased all the post-op x-rays of everything that had happened the last week uh, and i as i started uh at this at this hospital i saw that i noticed that the senior surgeons would typically stick to the you know the historic pediatric you know fracture fixation principle where a salter Harris three fracture should be an all epiphyseal you know screw fixation technique uh, but if you think about that this is this is a transitional fracture you know where where it happens between that 18 month period where the central medial and lateral Part, the lateral part fuses last, and and historically there have been no physeal arrests that have been reported because of because of tillow fractures, and which is different from the triplanes, which are probably a year or two younger, and it, it it makes total sense to fix those with with the the all epiphyseal fixation. If you if you look at the trigonometry uh, of it, it's a, it's a rectangular piece. So if you were able to diagonally fix the fracture, you're able to compress it slightly better than, than a horizontal screw. Uh, and the trajectory is slightly more difficult. You know, you can penetrate the joint or something like that when you're trying to get it parallel. I think it's, uh, so that was sort of the impetus. Why don't we see if the the oblique screw is better? Uh, and, and one last thing was the, the the paper from JPO from Charleston et al. In 2005, which... Uh, which talks about increased joint pressure. Sorry, uh, which which is which is decreased when the screw is removed, and that is actually the reason why most of us, at least, that's how we justify taking hardware out from these. So maybe maybe that's another reason
1: why we should not be putting parallel screws. That's very interesting. So when looking at the numbers, there there are very few boys that actually got an oblique screw, right? And so they are going to be chronologically uh, or skeletally a little bit behind. And so are you concerned at all in putting this oblique uh, screw in boys that are, let's say uh, 12, 13, um, because of the risk of physeal of, of, uh, of arrest? Or is is there, we shouldn't be concerned at all?
4: I, I don't think so because because whatever their their maturity is, the fracture, the tillow fracture will happen in the last phase of the fusion of, of the physis. So if they are younger boys, then they would they might there's a high possibility of them having a triplane rather than 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 a tillow fracture with, with with that injury. So I feel that if they're having a tillo, it's it's in that higher age group and we should not really concern us about, about having physical arrests. And again, as you rightly pointed out a limitation in the study, which is which is a fairly low number. But the first uh, uh, review article, uh, systematic review article on adolescent uh, tibial fractures, came out just this year, and they have they have a total of thirteen studies that they could they could put together, which has a total of one hundred fourteen patients only. So you can see that there is not much there is not much literature on these fractures because they're relatively relatively uncommon. And obviously, putting the screw in an oblique fashion actually,
1: at least potentially, obviates the need for a hardware removal, right? And so,
4: yes, there will be mm-hmm.
1: tremendous advantages of being of being able to
4: mm-hmm. yes. And
1: and I uh, on a video,
4: I'm able to show this, but it probably wouldn't work for a podcast. But the it's a rectangular fragment, so so it just makes more sense to have that that oblique screw right across diagonal to across that rectangular fragment.
3: I had a question. I didn't see in your abstract if all of the fractures were treated with an open reduction internal fixation, or any were treated with like a closed reduction and percutaneous fixation, and whether or not that affected um, the outcome or the function.
4: It was, thank you, great question. It was a combination. Uh so we, we did not stratify all of all of the ones were uh, so there were a few which were which were close reduced and percutaneous fixation, but, but we haven't segregated because the number is, is so small that it's hard to to uh, to segregate them. But your question is right. There were a few which were uh, which were close reduced and maybe for for the actual presentation next month, I can I can find out how many were uh, percutaneous. Just personally,
3: I think it's easier to close reduce and perk mm-hmm. fix obliquely yeah. than it is to do parallel, so I would bet the majority of those would be in the oblique
4: category. I completely agree, and that's what I do. That's yeah. exactly what I do, so I completely agree with you.
3: Yeah, and it's probably the numbers uh, wouldn't matter, but I just thought it, I would ask.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you, well, that was a great question. Uh, Amy, the problem is, as he said, only the older faculty members recommend a part. That's why you will not fit there. It's only me. It no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I would.
4: I wouldn't really. I wouldn't really want to say that, but uh, I, I noticed. I noticed it was the. It was the senior surgeons who would typically be working with the resident. Uh, you know, it's 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 like a teaching thing. It's a type three, uh, Salter-Harris three. It needs to have. It needs to be. You know, interepiphyseal, which which makes which makes total sense in, in in every other case, but this one. You know, we can
1: probably this can be an exception to the rule. And just to uh, to complement that, can you tell us what is the post op protocol for for these patients? How do you manage them uh, after surgery? Uh, I typically uh, we we typically keep them in
4: a we put them in a cast, uh, keep them toe touch for for six weeks, uh, get get x rays at six weeks, and depending on how uh, you know how the healing looks, we we transition them to a boot, start weight bearing, and start with range of motion exercises for the ankle.
3: It gets hot in Houston in a cast. Do you ever, um, sometimes if I think the patient will behave themselves, I will let them out of their cast at two to three weeks once their incision is healed and go to the boot for range of motion, but not allow them to wait bare till six weeks, but it is completely patient and parent dependent. Do you ever do that?
5: No,
4: they absolutely agree. You sometimes, when you talk to the patient in the family, you can gauge on how compliant they would be if it's a reasonable kid. I think it's absolutely fine uh, doing what what you exactly mentioned. So it's patient dependent, absolutely.
2: Um, yeah. Can I ask, Indra Neil, something? Um, I know there is a bit of sort of discussion on both sides of whether you know you should go across the jaw, uh, you know, the growth plate or not. I don't know whether you know that we presented in Barcelona, uh, I think about you know, four, three years or four years ago where we sort of had a compromise. What we did was we K-wired across the joint. So we put one inter, intra-apophysial K-wire. This is open, a tiny incision. We use a, uh, we use a clamp to put the fracture together, got it nicely uh, reduced. We put the K-wire parallel to join and one more across upwards. Uh, and then uh, that worked quite well. It's uh, going to be published by JPO soon. So I thought, you know, if, uh, you know, if there are people who are still not sure about the screw, this would be a great compromise because I do agree that putting across um, the growth plate does give you a little bit more stability, especially if it's not parallel. I just thought I mentioned. That. Great, no,
4: great point. That that's the posna. It was probably a, the the combined posna yes, EPOS. Exactly. Yeah, yes I, yes. I I miss I missed that meeting, but I think that makes sense. So you're you're putting only K wires.
2: You're not putting a screw. Correct. We don't put in screws K wires, and this K wires are put in percutaneously, so they're removed okay. without. So there's nothing in the kit, you know, when they grow up. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, the results are very good. We compared them with the screw cases as well. And like I said, it should be published in, in, a, in a few months time in JPOB. Are your K-wires
3: threaded or s-
2: are smooth? Smooth, smooth. smooth. So okay. the, the, the thinking behind here is if you pre-compress it with a clamp, it works like a compression screw. That's the thinking behind it. You've got to catch a cortex and you cannot catch a cortex in the epiphysis. You've got to go upwards. Uh, just as, uh, you know, um, um, uh, Neil's case, uh, but of course, uh, the ask is a compression screw.
5: Yeah.
0: It's one of the cool things about pediatrics, I think, is there's a lot of ways to skin a cat.
3: Yeah, I also think that's the greatest thing about international collaboration. Um, one of the best things I ever did was the traveling fellowship, and I learned that in most other countries, type 2 supercondular humorous fractures are treated non-operatively, and you know, that was sort of eye-opening for me. So I think that's one of the wonderful things about our organization is international collaboration.
0: Absolutely. Thank you again for your time. Um, It was a a great discussion. And uh, for those listeners that joined us tonight, thank you. Keep an eye out for more subspecialty day content as we lead up to the conference in Dallas.